This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime. We begin this week with Unit 99 and their episode from November 8, 1957, titled Loaded Gun and Burglar Tools. After that, it's Mayhem by Experts from Let George Do It. That episode aired January 31, 1949. Remember, once you're done listening to this episode, you can find more from Unit 99, Let George Do It, past episodes of Case Closed, and everything else Relic Radio at the website, relicradio.com. You can also donate through the website if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. Thanks to those who have. And here's Unit 99. KMA 907, Sacramento Police. Unit 99, are you in the clear? Unit 99 to KMA 907. Unit 99, Sergeant Meredith, 909, in service, on the air. This is Sergeant Dan Meredith of Unit 99 at headquarters, Police Department, City of Sacramento, California. My detail is to ride in Unit 99, our tape recorder-equipped radio car, and to respond whenever the dispatcher transmits a signal to one of our other units on duty somewhere in the city. At the scene, we make the recordings which we provide for this program. Now, to tell you more about Unit 99, here is our chief, James V. Hicks, Sacramento Police. The job of a police officer is your protection. The cases you hear on this radio program are real cases. The police are real, the victims and the criminals are real. We are glad to provide Unit 99 and Sergeant Meredith so that you will hear how the police of a great city work night and day for your protection. Make no mistake about it. There are no actors on these tapes. They are real from beginning to end. Now to Unit 99 and Sergeant Dan Meredith on duty. Unit 99. 99, go ahead. 924 Detectives, 99. 924 Detectives, roger. Well, we got a couple of pretty good safe men the other night. One's a real pro. We're going to talk to him. Hello, Detective Dahl. I just got a call to come into the Detective Bureau. Do you know anything about it? Well, I know something about it. We are going to bring one of the boys down and question him in regards to the forty-five automatic fully loaded he had in his possession, plus some burglar's tools. Well, that was one of two that were arrested the other night, night before last? Yes, sir, that was one of the two. Are you going to bring him down now? Right away. We would like to uh, question you, sir, in regards to the case in which you were picked up the night of May the 30th. You arrived in California on what day? On Sunday night, the 27th of May. Of May. Correct. What was your object in coming to the state of California? See if there was some easy money to find. What type of easy money or how are you going to uh, secure this easy money? Well, we were, well, I was thinking one safe or maybe two, and then I'd go back east. That's all it would be. So then when you arrived in San Francisco on May the 27th, what day or how long after that did you contact this friend of yours that you've known practically all your life? I went to his house where I thought he was living, and I I left a note that night, and the next day I met him. 
What was the topic of discussion between the two of you? How to get some easy money around here. Did the two of you in a car belonging to someone else drive to Sacramento prior to the night you were arrested? Yes, we did. We came up one day at night, late at night, just to see what the, the town looked like at night. And at that time, you did look over several uh, business establishments that had uh, in view or in mind the fact that you were going to try and enter the safes. Is that correct? We didn't have general businesses. We, well, we had general districts. And we went through several districts that night that looked, we didn't know whether they looked good or not, and we decided we wanted to come back in the daytime. Well, you arrived, I think you told us, in town. Yeah, in the afternoon. In the afternoon, around 4 o'clock, and yes. you attended a show, got out of the show around 9.30 or 10 o'clock. That's right. Then, what did you do after that? We drove around. We looked. We just didn't see something we didn't... We didn't see anything that looked good. We were just ready to leave. And they found us. In other words, you didn't have time to pull a job. Oh, we weren't even going to pull one. That's what makes it worse. Well, I understand the officers saw you in an alley next to one of these addresses that you had on you. On you. Wasn't your intentions at that time with this equipment that you had on you and your partner had on you to make a safe in this particular area where you were? Before we went into the area, yes, but when... When, when the officer spotted us, we were just ready to leave because we didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? There was no protection of any kind in the area, and we just decided we didn't like it, and we were just heading out of it. Well, you say the officer spotted you. Were you on a street or in an alley at the time that they first saw you, or do you know? In an alley. In an alley. We think. <clears throat> then what happened after that? Just tell us what happened, if you remember correctly, because we weren't there. Well, I think we were spotted in the alley, but we just, I just saw a light behind us as we were leaving the alley. And I didn't think it was a squad car, I thought it was a car just driving past the other end. And we were just walking out of the alley and down to our street, and we saw the patrol car come. We were on the street when we saw it, and we decided we'd better get out of there. Then what did you do? Well, after the squad car drove past, we ducked in past some houses. When it went past again, we got out and we're going to move farther on. And then what happened? About nine squad cars. <laughs> Did you know at the time that uh, when you both, uh, when you were stopped by the squad car and your partner, did you know that he was arrested right there at the time when they stopped him? Yes. You knew that at the time. Well, when did you do that? I jumped the fence, got in by some trees and tried to hide. I think you hid in some shrubbery alongside the house, is that correct? Yes. Then what happened? They went through the yard about three, four times with flashlights, and I was just about ready to try to climb the top of the house when they came back again. <laughs> then they did spot you there in the, in the shrubbery. Yeah. And that's when you were placed under arrest. That's right. Do you mind just telling us what you had on your person at the time of your arrest? A forty-five. And the gun was completely loaded, entirely loaded at the time, huh? No shells in the chamber. But you did have the clip in the gun? There was a clip in the gun, but no shells in the chamber. 
Now there's a there's a little periscope in a wooden box that I would like to have you explain to us, if you will, that you were carrying also at the time of your arrest. Was oh, this it, Donald? This is it in the box. This it was taken from. Well, it is used in industry for as uh, looking into holes in uh, precision machine work to see whether there's an even. Uh, I mean, where you can't look uh, by by uh, eyes, so that you can see inside there to see whether there is any defects in the cuts. Three-eighths of an inch in diameter, 10 inches length for practical purposes. That's the rod here. Yes. And it has two lenses, one for, one is a, what do you call it, a prism, and the other one is an offset optical lens. I see there are some little uh, flashlight bulbs and wires, springs. How do you use that? They go on the end to make the, make a, a light in, inside. What purpose were you going to use this instrument? That's fairly obvious. Well, explain it to us. Well, if you can see what's inside of a safe, I mean, then you know that's all there's to know. How would you be able to see inside of a safe? By making a hole in the safe. Boring it or knocking the dial off? Boring it, naturally. And could it be used, too, to check the tumblers in the uh, combination? Yes, it could. This particular night that you were arrested, you were carrying these guns, were you not? Yes. What was the purpose in carrying these guns? Fear more than anything else. Fear? Usually, if some if somebody if a police officer would come up on us, not maybe a police officer, but one of these door pushers, and they see something, they might stand around looking and get not do a thing. But then, I mean, just try to stop us from getting out. But if you shoot a couple shots in the air, just up in the air, or any place else, they'll run like the glory. Well, the night that you were picked up, there were a couple officers that overtook you and your partner. When you were hiding in the bush in this backyard, did you think of using that gun? There was no shell in the chamber, and I had over ten minutes to put a shell in it if I would have wanted to use it. When you went to case a job or look over a safe, you always had in mind that uh, the safe had to have considerable money before it'd be worth the effort to open it. Is that correct? Yes, after for the last since since way back, that's the way I believed. In other words, what would be a uh, amount that you would set it at, but uh, the smallest amount before you uh, would open a safe? That is, by your own opinion, by looking at it. In the business, I'd say twenty-five hundred to five thousand. I'd go in between those sums. In other words, you wouldn't care to uh, go in an operation work on a safe for $500 or $800 or $1,000? No. Why, why waste your time on something small when there's some big ones around? After you've been prosecuted in court on this uh, particular case, have you had any plans on continuing this kind of life? I figure I'll have four or five years in jail at least. And in that time, I got about two and a half years of civil engineering studying. And I figure I can find out 
enough knowledge in the time I'm in jail to get myself a decent education. What are the charges that uh, you and uh, Sergeant Lyons are going to file against this man now? The charge has already been filed. One of them is en route to the FBI, and the other one is a uh, penal code section of the state of California, section 12025, which is an ex-convict in possession of a firearm. Also, possession of burglar tools. Sometimes, I think, good police officers have a sixth sense. There was no obvious reason for the patrol car officers to be suspicious of the two men they observed on the sidewalk. But the fact that they were suspicious and returned for a second look provoked the suspects into betraying themselves. The man you just heard was a professional, and there is no doubt that his timely arrest prevented a series of safe robberies. He was turned over to the FBI for prosecution in Michigan. drunk driver involved in an accident. Let's take a look at it. With 9th and N heading eastward, a block away there's a flare in the middle of the street. A car on the uh, northeast corner of the intersection. Another one behind it. I can't see just yet who it is. The unit's here. Let's get out. Officers Clark and Tinker are here. Do you have your driver's license, yeah, sir? I have it. Yes, yes, sir. What is your story now, sir? How did this accident take place? Well, they uh, stopped rather suddenly. Two girls. That's all I can say. How close were you following this other vehicle? Well, I say about 15 feet. About 15 feet, and what was your approximate speed? Uh, about 30, 25. About 25 miles an hour. Yeah. Have you been drinking tonight, sir? I had a couple of beers, yes. Mm -hmm. How long ago, sir? Well, I would say uh, an hour. An hour ago? Approximately an hour, yes. That's when you had your last drink. Yes, sir. Where's the other car that's involved? The other car is parked across the intersection. Uh -huh, it's on the north-hand side of the street, parked legally at the curb. Well, here comes Officer Tinker. Maybe he might tell us something about their statements. No, I haven't called a tow truck. Is there any special tow truck you'd like to have for your car? You won't be able to drive it. It's pretty well smashed up. Have you any idea who you'd like to have your car sent to? Yeah. Governor Knight. Governor Knight? Yeah. Why Governor Knight? Because he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of yours? Yeah. Well, what's he going to do with your car after he gets it? Start in his garage. I don't think you'd do that. Now, would you want to bother the governor at this time? Yeah. Uh, Clark, yes, this sir. gentleman would like to have his car sent to Governor Knight. you think that we could do that? Why not? Well, that wouldn't be wise, though. Truthfully, would it? See? Mm-hmm. 
You, you talk, sir. Well, how about giving the officer the uh, garage to where you'd like to have your car sent? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, let's do it this way. Okay. Will you do me a favor? Do the best we can. All right. Call Governor Knight. I'll tell you what we'll do. Clark, we'll try to do something for this fellow. Do you want to have him taken in and have him checked for injuries and such? Yes, uh, Dan, we are. We're going to take him in and uh, have the doctor examine him. Okay, then. Well, the other car gone, Tinker? Tinker, is the other car yes. gone? Yes. Uh, what did uh, the driver of that car say? Uh, she was stopped for the red light. She didn't know anything about the accident until it already, until it happened. Oh. Uh, she was sitting there waiting for the light, and uh, the impact surprised her because she didn't even see the car in the mirror. In other words, she was stationary at the time. Yes. Time, uh, yes. What do you want me to say? Well, I'd like to get your statement now on how this accident occurred. Well, I'll say what you want me to say. Did you see this other car at all before you started? Of course I saw it. How far away was your car from it? About 15 feet. 15 feet. And I'd your say... estimate speed, sir, at that time, when you realized the danger? Well, for goodness sakes, I mean, uh, make it the way you want it. Just call Governor Knight. He'll make it such a big thing out of this small situation. Medical examination established that this man was intoxicated. He was charged with drunk driving and paid a $263 fine to avoid 60-day jail sentence. Incidentally, the governor was not notified. Unit 99. 99, go ahead. 924, 99. 940, Unit 56. 924. Check 99, came in out of 7. Traffic units must have something for us. Clark, you and Hilton uh, call us in. Yes, sir, we did, uh, Sergeant. We have a very unusual case here. This uh, gentleman states he was uh, struck by a vehicle on K Street, uh, just uh, east of uh, 16th Street. Was he in the street? No, he was uh, on the sidewalk. Now we have several witnesses that uh, stated that this man deliberately uh, laid down in front of a vehicle and dared the car to run over him. And then the car didn't hit him? No, the car did not. So we took a uh, accident report, and this gentleman has signed it. Oh, he signed this report. Yes, he has. And uh, we have received information that this is the second time that uh, this has occurred right in this uh, same uh, location. I see. Well, are you going to talk with the fellow now? Yes, we are. Hi, Captain Richard. Hello, Sergeant Meredith. You want to come in here? Uh, can you tell us what happened down there at 16th and K? Yes, I was. I was walking home from Sam's Hospital. Uh, on J Street, as I recall it. Stand driving, and I uh, was walking on the sidewalk, and the car drove up against me and bumped into me. And I asked the man to drive back so that I could walk on the on the sidewalk. Did it knock you down? No, it did not at that time. And I asked him to back off, and when I asked him to back off, he drove forward and knocked me down. Were you injured? No, I was not injured. Have I, I you know, been drinking? I, yes, I have been drinking. How much? 
I don't know. I've only had a few. No, uh, uh, are you inferring that I've had a lot to drink? Well, no, I'm no. trying to get what, uh, no, what sorry, the amount well, was no. that you did have. Uh, I had a few drinks at home, and I don't know how many, because you don't gauge them at home, you see. Well, according to the officer's report here, they have a different version, of, according to witnesses, of what happened down there, of what you say. Well, there were no witnesses, you see. There was only the driver of the, of the vehicle. Well, now that the officers tell us that they have quite a few witnesses oh, there was state a, there, that uh, you did not get hit. Well, there was a lot of kids showed up very shortly afterward, but there were no witnesses. Did an incident like this happen to you previous? No incident. I mean, in the last week or so? No incident has ever happened to me like this in my whole life. Has this man been checked in the emergency for uh, injuries? No, he has not. He refuses to uh, to be treated. He or refuses? Be or to be examined. He says he's not injured. Well, I think uh, for his own good, uh, he should be examined to see the extent of his injury, don't you not, think? I have not I have not been injured. I have not been injured. Well, Officer Clark, let me ask you this. Did uh, some witnesses say that the man was not struck by the car? We have uh, several witnesses. In fact, we have uh, seven that stated this man was not struck by a vehicle. Well, what is their version of it? They stated this man walked up to a car that was stopped leaned on the hood and dared the car to run over him. When the driver refused to go forward, he laid down in front of the car. Then another car drove up to go into the drive-in. He scooted over in front of the other car. Well, is this a fact? This is not a fact. This is, this is no truth at all. Well, Officer Clark, did some witness there say that this man had been involved in an incident, something similar to this in the past? I heard that. Yes, they did. They stated it was in the early part of this uh, week that the same thing occurred. And they identified this man as the man positively? Yes, they did. Do you wish to prosecute? I, I don't mean to compete any commotion of any kind. I, I certainly didn't waste that. Uh, I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Don't you think it would be a good idea to go down to the emergency hospital and let them check you over? No, I'm not injured. Not I'm injured. sure that I'm not injured. You, you don't I'm need to be checked over. Not at all. This is something entirely new to me. I know nothing about what I'm doing. I'm a little scared. May I be? Why, surely. All right. This is our position in this now. We're going to turn this over to our investigator. Uh, and we have so many conflicting witnesses in this, that is, witnesses that say that you wasn't struck by this car, and you have signed a report that you were. Now, that's a false report. We're going to turn this over to our investigator, and it may be that they will issue a warrant for your arrest for filing a false report. This was an unusual case for which there is no logical explanation. The preponderance of evidence was against this man. He was fined for filing a false report. This is Unit 99. These on-the-scene tape recordings were provided by the Sacramento Police Department and were made on duty by Sergeant Dan Meredith in Unit 99. Your host is Chief James V. Hicks of the Sacramento Police Department. KMA 907, Sacramento Police. Unit 99, are you in the clear? Unit 99 to KMA 907. Unit 99, Sergeant Meredith, 909 in service, on the air.
Unit 99 has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. Mayhem by Experts, another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice, danger's my stock and trade. If you're coming up for the third time and need somebody's help, call on me, George Valentine. Write full details. Mr. Valentine, I know the exact time of your morning mail. I've checked on that. You'll have a very short time to get to me and keep me from being murdered. Believe me, I have very good reason to be terrified. I can't think of anyone else to help me. Anyone else to help me, and I'll do my best to make it worth your while. Be sure to come alone, otherwise there's nothing you can do for me. And it's signed Madge Damon. Uh-huh. Well, we've gotten a few cockeyed letters, Brooksy, but this one belongs in a showcase. We got a deadline, no less. But suppose the mailman decided to stop off at the drugstore for a cup of coffee? Well, this man seems to have unwavering faith in our postal service. Here, let me see that letter. 426 Duane Street. George, that's a full half hour's drive from here. If you make every light. Sit tight, Angel. I'm going to find out what this is all about. Abrams, 3C, Murphy, 2D. Oh, here we are, Damon. Uh, come on, come on, come on, lady, answer, will you? Uh, no use trying the hall phone, mister. What? Ain't been working for years. Being a janitor, I ought to know. Maybe I ought to think about fixing it one of these days. Yeah, well, don't work too hard, Buster. I want to get to 4C. Where's the elevator? Uh, over there. Uh, but I uh, may as well warn you, young fella, can't work in. Huh? Another thing I ought to get around to fixing one of these days. Okay, I'll walk. I'm in a hurry. Uh, something fierce the way work piles up on a man's back. Careful, mister. Wet floor. Oh. And watch out for the pail. Oh, I'm sorry to step over you, Mother. Which way is 4C? Oh, Miss Damon, uh, I down a few doors. But it ain't going to do you any good. She just left. What's that? Just left. Bags and all. There was a dark, tough-looking fella going out with her. She, uh, she didn't happen to mention where she was going, did she? Oh, look out, mister. You don't get slopped with the mop. Oh, okay, Mother, okay. But I asked you a question, remember? Well, come to think of it, it happened to remember she said she was going to Union Station. She looked mighty like she was crying. Well, tell, tell me something else. What does this Miss Damon look like? What's she wearing? Oh, she's blonde, in a dark sort of way. Uh, uh, short, but not one of them real short kind, mind you. She's, oh, um... Oh, great, great. Well, uh, she was wearing one of them big floppy hats. Oh, she can get away with them, too, because, like I said, she's short, but not too short. Yeah, well, she... thanks. Thanks very much. 
Now I can pick her right out of a crowd. Oh, Miss Brooks, sister, this is wonderful, wonderful. Valentine called you from the Union Station, huh? Oh, brother, that means he didn't catch why. If you'll <laughs> stop splitting your sides for a minute, Lieutenant Riley, I'd like to know what this is all about. <laughs> well, there's no such woman as Madge Damon. I dictated that letter to my secretary. You certainly can be funny. <laughs> sure. What's so brilliant about a stunt like that? <laughs> well, he, he didn't even recognize Sergeant Williams dressed up as a janitor or policewoman Ferris scrubbing the floors. And I, I know he's seen them both around headquarters at least a dozen times. Oh, brother. Oh, that's your big sleuth for you. All right, you're a jester and your life is complete. Why don't you give me a hot foot? I won't look. Oh, look, look, you don't get it. All this was merely incidental. I had to get Valentine out of the office this morning. Oh, but wait, honey, wait till you hear my real payoff. Oh, I'm sure it's going to slay me. <laughs> All right, Miss Brooks, what day is it? Day? Well, it's Monday. I knew it. I knew it. You forgot. You forgot just as he did. Forgot what? It's Valentine's birthday. I checked on it just to make sure. Oh, no. Oh, it can't be. Oh, I've got to get out of here and get him a present. Where's my coat? Relax, honey. Relax, relax. This time, it's yours truly who's giving Valentine a present. Yeah, how sweet. Yes, sir. Look here. Here in this box. A birthday cake. Yes, sir. And in just a few minutes, five, five top-notch mystery writers, all big shots in the field, are going to be here to attend Valentine's surprise birthday party. Mystery writers? Lieutenant, you sound like you're running a fever. Ah, uh -uh, no, no, no. I've done them favors in the past, and they're just dying to come along for the fun. Mm, after what you did this morning, I'm suspicious of what you consider fun. Ah, oh, come on now. Come on. Where's your sense of humor? Look, we're going to st uh, stage your phony murder, see? With you as a victim. And I'm betting Valentine is going to fall for it, hook, line, and sink it. Pardon me while I laugh. Yes, sir. <laughs> Look, you see, I'm going to examine the supposed victim and announce that he's dead. And I could just see Valentine going into action without even checking, without even bothering to find out if there's really been a crime. And in front of all those writers, too. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I'm not going to let you do <laughs> What? Oh, now, come on. Come on, be reasonable. Valentine's put me on a few spots where I didn't look too bright. I need this for my morale. I'll tell you what. I'll make you bet. What kind of a bet? Well, uh... A hat for you if I lose, and a box of cigars for me if I win. All right. Okay, Lieutenant, you're on. Okay. Ha-ha! <laughs> now we got work to do. Miss Brooks, I want you to meet Steve Barry. He writes all those hard-boiled detective novels about Dan Flynn, Private Eye. You mean... You write those books about Dan Flynn? Young lady, one doesn't have to look like a thug to understand the psychology of a tough, two-fisted character. And this, this is Cornelia Wollaston, who writes such wonderful, blood-curdling horror stories. <laughs> yes, you should see some of the people I meet in my nightmares. Gruesome. <laughs> when did the festivities begin, Lieutenant? Well, Valentine is still probably wandering around Union Station, so let's get on with the introductions. Huh? This is Ben Forrester, Miss Brooks. He's of the uh, deductive school. He's here to play corpse today. <laughs> I'll make the liveliest one you ever saw. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? In your profession, you should at least know what a corpse looks like. 
This is Sigmund Greenmetz. He specializes in uh, scientific crime. Why, he spends more time in our police lab than we do. Uh, thank you, Lieutenant. I admit the thoroughness. Even though some of my colleagues don't. Nothing like being thorough about mayhem. And this is, finally, young Mr. Copeland, who believes that every crime has a psychological basis. And that's the way it will always be, as long as crimes are committed by human beings. I don't mind suspense, Lieutenant, but I happen to have a dinner party. Yes, uh, where is Mr. Valentine? Well, uh, he'll be along any minute now, Barry. Oh, now, look here, Greenmetz. You, uh, you know what you have to do. Yes, I understand it. I... Pull down the window blind to darken the office uh, like this. Uh, then uh, I turn on the light. Right. Then when Mr. Valentine begins to light the candles on his birthday cake, I flip the lights off. And with a pathetic stifled scream, I crumple to the floor. Oh, dear. Murder can be so repetitious even when you stage it. <laughs> uh, just uh, one minute and one more thing, Greenmetz. I beg your pardon, Mr. Foster. Uh, don't poison Valentine's cake with one of those exotic venoms you always fall back on in those incredibly dull stories of yours. Uh, I may seem a little out of date to a successful best-selling writer like you, but at least I use careful research. I'm not a fraudulent writer. Gentlemen, uh, remember, this is supposed to be a party. Yeah. Cut it out, Queen Metz. I don't like people to laugh at my work. If you go through the annals of crime, you'll discover that poison has been used more often. Shh, uh, quiet. Well, quiet, everybody. I think I just heard Valentine come in the outside office. I still think I'm going to win that hat. Hey, Brooksy. You know that letter I got this morning? Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> well, did you find Madge Damon? <laughs> hey, Brooksy, what is this? Who are all these people? Well, they're guests, darling. Your birthday guests. What? As a matter of fact, they're all well-known mystery writers. <laughs> hey, Charlie, old boy. Well, never mind. Never mind, pal. You'll get to know them all later. But tell me something. Tell me, yet. What about the janitor and the scrub woman? Oh. Didn't you recognize Williams and Mrs. Ferris, huh? Uh-uh, Lieutenant, I got to hand it to you. You had me coming and going. <laughs> no hard feelings, huh? <laughs> Look here. Look, I provided a cake and some refreshments, so come on, let's celebrate. Okay, I'm just in the mood. Go on, George, light the cake. Off with the light, Streamette. Uh, very well. Oh, this is nice and cozy. Oh, say, I don't even have a match. Here, use my lighter. That's the idea, Miss Williston. Hurry up, Valentine. No, you don't. Get away from me. Get down. Oh, oh what was that? Huh? What happened? It sounded like Forrester. What's going on here? Hey, you, Green Mets, get those lights yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Forrester. Well, what's the matter with him? Why is he lying there like that? Don't stand there, Barry. Help him up. Somebody better get a doctor. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't touch him. Let me have a look at him. Oh. We'd better get the coroner. What? This man's dead. Hmm? Lying on his face with a dagger in his chest. Dead? What are you talking Who about? Who would want to kill Foster? What are you saying, Lieutenant? Well, what's the matter, Valentine? Aren't you interested? This happened in your office. Oh, I'm quivering like a leaf. I think the only thing that'll calm me down is a piece of cake. What? <laughs> Tell you stooge to get up, Lieutenant. This whole setup is as crooked as a worm and an apple. Oh, darling, I love it. Oh, oh, I get a new best laid plans of mice and men. Your little joke didn't work, Lieutenant. You were too smart for it. Yeah, when I get taken for a ride in the morning, I try to smarten up come afternoon. Well, don't be such a ham, Forrester. Get up. <laughs> he always did like holding the center of the stage. <laughs> well, maybe I can shake him out of it. Hey, wait a minute. Huh? 
You're not trying to put anything over on me. I'm not kidding. There's no dagger in Forrest's chest. Of course there isn't. Just the same he's been killed. Uh, what? Oh, please, George, about? one practical joke is enough. This is no joke, Brooksy. Right now, Mr. Forrester is very much dead. We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, let's all go back to school for a minute. Read and write and arithmetic? No, sir. A lesson in motor oil from Mrs. Virgie F. Codner, who teaches school in Phoenix, Arizona. And here's her statement. Quote, Why, it's just plain logic that a clean engine will run better and longer than a dirty engine. And that's why I prefer RPM to any other motor oil. I know it's cleaning my car's motor while it's lubricating it. Unquote. And folks, that's a lesson worth remembering. For RPM motor oil not only keeps your engine cleaner, it guards against internal rust, fights off corrosion and lacquer. It protects hot spots left bare and exposed to wear by ordinary motor oils. And is there plus and minus about RPM? Yes, the plus is longer mileage, longer engine life, and the minus is fewer repair bills. So, to give your car and your pocketbook a break, Get an oil drain and refill with RPM motor oil. Get it at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where they say and mean we take better care of your car. You find yourself the victim of a very elaborate and phony birthday joke planned by, of all people, Lieutenant Riley. It might have been fun, except that the man who was supposed to play dead really died. And right in your office. And in front of four top-notch mystery writers. You know one of the four had to murder him. You might call it mayhem by experts. In fact, that's what we do call it. Ah, Valentine, why, why do these things happen to me? I don't feel too good either. Like like an accessory after the fact or something. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen, both of you. Don't let your conscience bother you too much. Forrester's murder was carefully planned. Yes, if it didn't happen back there in my office, it would have happened somewhere else. Well, at least we're pretty sure who did it. Somehow I still can't believe it was Green Net. He just doesn't seem to be the type. Yeah, Angel, I second the motion. But the facts are sure stacked up against him. I tell you, you could have knocked me over with a feather when the coroner said Forrester was poisoned. Jabbed with a hypodermic needle. And then, then to find the needle in Green Net's pocket. Green Net said he didn't know how it got there. And with everybody milling around in the dark, anybody could have put it there. Well, he admitted that Forrester had been needling him for months. Telling him all he's been doing for 20 years is rehashing Sherlock Holmes. Oh, it's just a little too pat, Lieutenant. But I certainly don't have any other answer. Well, I'm holding Green Metz on suspicion of murder. And I think he's going to turn out to be our man. Could be, Lieutenant, could be. Hey, Brooksy, we never did get to celebrate my natal day. Suppose we spend it on a treasure hunt. See if you can find the light switch, Angel. Okay. Well, the late Mr. Forrester, Forrester's apartment has all the standard equipment, including copies of Esquire. Hold it. Huh? I crack a light under the door to the other room. Oh, I'd have to be blind not to see it. Who could it be? 
That's what we're going to find out. Yeah, somebody's there looking for something. He's got to have. He's not missing a trick. George, the light just went out. Uh-huh. That's when I go in. Stay where you are, Okay, but I don't have to like it. Okay, Buster, I can't see you, but I know you're in there. Come on, make with the vocal cords. All right. All right, suit yourself. You're either going to have to jump out of that window or try to get past me. Making up your mind? Well, I don't think you're going to jump, friend, so just stay put while I find a switch and we'll... No, it's not going to be the window, friend. Like I was baking a cake and stuck my head too far into the oven. Oh, George, what did I do? Oh, what did you do? Oh, don't tell me you put this dent in my skull. No, I... I hit him. Huh? Yeah. That gentleman lying face down over there by the couch. <laughs> oh, you handled yourself right well, Angel. Well, he hit you. There wasn't anything I could do except take my shoe off and hit him back. Golly, I hope I didn't hit him too hard. Well, we'll just see. Let's turn it over. Well, surprise. Yeah, a big surprise. It's Barry. Steve Barry. Come on, Barry. You realize your story sounds as phony as a dime store engagement ring. I know. It's the truth, Valentine. I've heard of people doing things for publicity, but not anything like this. Now, please, try to understand my position. There I was in your office, Valentine, at that party, the scene of the murder. Uh-huh. Well, now, what would my readers think if I, Dan Flynn's literary father, wasn't able to solve it? Oh, I can just hear the whole nation going... Just what were you looking for here in Forrester's apartment? I, I don't know. Just like you, any little clue that might prove whether it was or wasn't Green Mets, who did it? Ah, uh-huh. just any little old clue. Yes. If I could find the murder, the sale to my new book might run into millions. You know, it's just possible somebody might think you killed Forrester, and we're here trying to destroy evidence. Hey, what about that, Barry? Me? Kill somebody? Me? Why, why, I can't even stand the sight of blood. It, it makes me faint. The story is my public expects from me. All that violence. Well, you you just have no idea what a strain it is on me. Well, Greenmatz has his story and you have yours. But I've told you I, I, I'm telling the truth and you've got to believe me. Well, I'll be able to tell you better about that later. Now go home, Barry. Put a cold compress on your head. And you, Angel, will you join me? Where now? Believe it or not, the public library. To read some mysteries. <laughs> George, it's getting late. Oh, can't expect to read all those mystery books tonight. What are you looking for, anyway? Huh? What's all this? I know the butler did it. Oh, this might be what we're looking for. Yeah, Brooksy, here are the books by Cornelia Williston and Young Copeland. You know what I found in them? Words. And more words. Yeah. 
Also, one particular phrase that keeps bobbing up in both. Let me guess. Don't touch anything till the police get here. No, Lucy, no, no. In the translucent twilight. Um, would you mind repeating that? In the translucent twilight. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. I just wanted to be sure. Now, why should a lush phrase like that keep popping up in the books both of them wrote? So they steal from each other. Mm. One more intriguing little fact. Cornelia Wollaston's most successful book, The Twisted Claw, was dedicated to B.G. See? Right here in the frontispiece. The B.G., a kindred spirit with undying love. B.G.? Look at that brittle Miss Wollaston. You'd never think she'd go in for baby talk. A kindred spirit. And look at this book, the first one Forrester ever wrote. It wasn't signed Ben Forrester like all the later ones. It was signed B.G. Forrester. B.G. Hey, do you think... Maybe it's more than a coincidence, but I'm sending a telegram to Sweetwater, Oklahoma. Well, you know, darling, it's little streaks of logic like that that endear you to everybody. The book jacket on the twisted claw says Miss Williston was born in Sweetwater. A telegram to the local paper will bring us a lot of interesting details about Cornelia. And then? And then I may want to pick up my birthday party where it was so violently interrupted with the same list of guests. Except, of course, the late Mr. Forrester. Valentine, what's the reason for this clam break? Yes, just what have you got on your mind? Have you found something that will clear this man here? I'm coming to that, Lieutenant. Mr. Copeland. What, another birthday party so soon? I just got your message, Lieutenant. I came right over. If you're here to tell me how much I despised Forrester, you wouldn't be saying anything that's not true. He was obnoxious, arrogant. But I, I wouldn't go to the trouble of killing him. Take it easy, Greenmutz. Okay, Valentine, okay. What do you know that we, we should know? You better get started, Brooksy, before the good lieutenant blows a gasket. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, goodbye, George, darling. I shall meet you in the translucent twilight. Translucent twilight? Oh, what's the matter, Miss Wollaston? Those words seem to have a special meaning for you. There's nothing more beautiful than a translucent twilight, is there? Say, what's going on here? Wouldn't you say that was a purple phrase, Mr. Copeland? In the translucent twilight? I... I wouldn't know. You should, if you read your own books. Or if at least you read the ones somebody else wrote for you. What do you mean by that? Yeah, what is all this, huh? George, do you want all these fine detailed notes you made in the library? I don't think we'll need them, Brooksy. I believe Miss Williston will admit she wrote all of Copeland's books as well as her own. Goodness, you can't mean what you're saying. Well, that can't be. The styles are too different. That's a lie, Valentine, and you'll know it. Ridiculous. And one phrase keeps recurring often in the books you two have written. Well, what about it? I told you all writers are crazy. Anyway, it could have been just a coincidence. Uh-uh, Lieutenant. Authors fall in love with certain phrases and use them over and over again without even realizing it. They become just as much a part of them, just as revealing as their fingerprints. Come to think of it, you're right, Valentine, you're right. I keep finding my Dan Flynn saying over and over again, I'm going to slam you senseless, sweetheart. That's absolutely true, yeah. I find myself doing the same thing. But, Mr. Valentine, I fail to see Miss Williston, I received a little information from Sweetwater, Oklahoma. Is that supposed to terrify me? You wrote Copeland's books, and for a very good reason. He happens to be your son. What? What's that? Was it pride that forced you to make a successful writer for your son, Cornelius? Son? But it's Miss Wollaston. Miss! Uh, Take it easy, Dad. No, there was a Mr. Wollaston at one time. 
Okay, why don't you admit it, Cornelia? You're a widow. It's all here in this telegram. All right. What if I am? You can stop it now, Valentine. Yes, Cornelia is my mother. She wanted to help me in my career. That's nobody else's business. Okay, okay, okay. So this is going to make headlines in the Saturday Review of Literature. Now, what about it? Uh, uh, go on, please, Mr. Valentine. Mrs. Williston, you had a very good reason to kill Forrester, didn't you? Why, I, I hardly knew him. Except professionally. He was just another writer. Oh, I see. And is that why you dedicated the Twisted Claw to B.G., and I quote, with undying love? Forrester's middle initial was G. G for Gerald. And he was the kind of man who had other women call him B.G., and with the same undying love. You're right about that, Valentine. Forrester was always bragging about his success with the fair sex. The truth is, I once told him to his very face that he was a cad. Keep going, Valentine. Let's get to the end of this. Don't you see, Lieutenant? When Forrester decided he was through with Cornelia, he held a whip hand. The threat to expose the hoax of young Ted Copeland, the promising new writer. I should never have let you do it, Mother. So, Cornelia, you killed Forrester, and in a way that would place all the suspicion on Greenmetz. Now, didn't you? Yes. That's exactly the way it happened. Uh, thank you, Mr. Valentine. Believe me, Mrs. Rolleston, I'm very sorry. Of course you know you're lying, Cornelia. What's this? And I have an idea that I won't be the one to prove that. Wait a minute. Are you trying to say she didn't kill Forrester? She just said so herself. Thank you for being a practical man, Lieutenant. No. No, this is one time I'm going to stand on my own two feet, Mother. Ted, keep quiet. I Don't. killed Forrester. Just as Valentine described it. But he had it coming to him for such a long, long time. What are you doing, Ted? You have your whole life it's before It's no you. use, Cornelia. I'm sorry I had to do it the way I did, but I had a feeling he'd tell the truth if he saw the guilt being placed on you. I knew how much you loved him, Mother. I saw how he threw you over. All I could do was stand by. Oh, Ted. The scandal about the books, it was going to ruin not only me, but you. That's why I killed him. See, Brooksy, Green Match would never in a million years think of poisoning anybody when he knows he's an authority in the field. And you figured it had to be either Cornelia or Ted. But what made you decide it was the sun? <laughs> Why, Angel, don't you remember? When I was lighting the birthday cake, Cornelia handed me the lighter. She was standing right next to me, yards away from Forrester. Well, you can keep your genius badge, mister. Oh. Easy, Brooksy. Easy. Oh. What are you trying to do, trip over yourself? Oh, no, it's just this darned heel that isn't there. Incidentally, my fine friend, I'm putting the cost of a new pair of shoes on the office expense account. Oh, shakedown, eh? No, girlish superstition. Never knock anybody unconscious twice with the same shoes. Lots of times in everyday motoring when you need extra go-ahead for your car, but fast. And the way to get that speedy pickup is to get Chevron Supreme gasoline, the gasoline that puts command performance in your car. Thanks to special blending agents, this high-octane fuel gives your car command performance under every road condition. It commands fast starts, commands smooth acceleration, commands the extra power that makes your car great on hills. 
And no matter where you drive in the West, with Chevron Supreme, you can be sure of command performance. For premium quality, Chevron Supreme is climate-tailored to each different altitude and temperature zone from Canada to Mexico in all the Western states. For command performance in your car, get Chevron Supreme tomorrow. Get it at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean we take better care of your car. Next week at this time, we pick up George Valentine on an out-of-town assignment, which begins on a train that's just pulling into Sharondale. Ain't you kind of cold up here on the platform, Jack? What? Oh, no, I'm getting off as soon as the train stops. You're getting off here, Jack. Don't make me carve things in your face with this broken bottle. I don't like the sight of blood. Hey, wait a minute, it's not going to be my blood, Buster. Get off, does it? Get off! Hey! Happy landing, Jack! Stay out of Chandale! Tonight's adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George, with Francis Robinson as Brooksy. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little, Jr., and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Jeanette Nolan as Cornelia, Roland Morris as Copeland, Junius Matthews as Barry, Fred Howard as Forrester, Louis Van Ruten as Green Metz, and Ruth Parrott as a scrub woman. The music is composed and presented by Eddie Dunstetter, your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. Case closed for this week. Hope you enjoyed the selections this time. Remember to visit relicradio.com for more and donate.relicradio.com or click on the donate link on the website if you'd like to help support us. Talk to you again next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed.